We welcome you to the seventh edition of the ultimate guide to Hajj and Umrah, Hajj the journey of a lifetime. Tonight, inshallah, we will be discussing how to prepare for the journey of Hajj and Umrah. The first thing that we need to focus upon is the cleansing of our intentions, making sure that the only reason that we are performing the Hajj is for the pleasure of Allah. There are numerous ahadith that could be quoted with regards to this. I have one hadith in your notes. The hadith says that the Prophet Allah, peace be upon him, had said that the worst thing I fear for you is the minor shirk, the minor polytheism. When asked as to what is the minor polytheism, the Prophet responded that it is Riyah doing things for show. So as prospective hujaj, as prospective mu'atamirun, we must make sure that the awniyya, when we go for the journey of hajj and umrah, is the pleasure of Allah and not for show. Not so that it can be said that we are of the hujaj. We must do it solely to please Allah. In another, another hadith of the Prophet Islam, he says that Allah says that these aghna shuraka'i and shirk of all those who are given partners, there is none that is more independent than Allah. And when anybody brings an, brings an action to Allah that has partnership in it, then Allah leaves the ek and Allah leaves the partner as well. So Allah is not interested in it. There are other ahadith that speak of people that were known as ulama in this world, people that were known as shuhada, martyrs in this world, appearing on the day of qiyamah, the martyr still with the blood oozing from his body, and then Allah asks him, why did you do this? Then he says, oh Allah, I gave my life solely to please you. And then Allah will say to him, no, you gave your life so that it can be said that you are brave. And that has been said, so you have received your reward and there is nothing for you by me. The same with the alim. He will say, I learned your deen, I learned your Quran only to please you, O oh Allah. And it will be said to him, no, that is not the reason why you learned. You learned so that it can be said that you are an alim. And it has been said. And then the hadith concludes by saying that this person will be dragged on his face and cast into Yalfaya. So Hajj is a great act of worship and we must ensure that our niyyah is pure. This does not mean that it is haram to conduct business while you are on Hajj. It is best, if possible, that all forms of business be avoided except what is necessary for the Hajj. However, it does not negatively impact upon the Hajj if you buy things for purposes of business as well. As long as your primary reason that you are going on this journey is for Hajj and Umrah. And Allah knows best. The second thing we need to focus upon is ittiba'. We need to make sure, it's not in the notes, we need to make sure that the Hajj that we perform is in accordance with the manner shown to us by our beloved Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Regarding the Hajj, the Prophet of Allah had said, Take your rituals from me. And in another hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, Whosoever does an act 
and that act is not in accordance with the way we did it, then that act will be rejected and cast back upon the one that had done it. In acts of worship, we do not go the way of innovation. We worship Allah as Allah wants to be worshipped. We worship Allah as how our beloved Prophet had shown us to worship Allah. So the rituals of Hajj must be taken from the Prophet of Allah. We must not add to the rituals of Hajj. The third, which appears in your notice number two, is Tawbah. The primary quality of Hajj at the end of the day is that the Hajj or the Mu'atamir is repentant of their sins. If this essential quality is not part and parcel of the Hajj, then Hajj has lost its primary quality. It is like Salah. The reason for Salah is Dhikrullahi, the remembrance of Allah. So any Salah that has Dhikrullah, it is the true and the intended Salah. It is that Salah ta'muru anil fahsha'i wal munkar, that, prohibit, that commands the good and prohibits from that which is evil. Did I say it correctly? Tanha anil fahsha'i wal munkar, sorry. It is that Salah that prohibits that which is sin and that which is shameful. That is if you make a salah in which there is dhikrullah, remembrance of Allah. With regards to hajj, it is supposed to have the quality of tawbah, of repentance. Ulama discuss the idea of repentance. One of the ulama is Imam Nawawi in his book, Riyadu Salihin. And he says when you have sinned against Allah, then there are three qualities that is necessary for a sincere repentance. Quality number one is that you must immediately desist and refrain from the act. You cannot be continuing with an act, but claiming that you have repented. So the first thing is that you must stop doing it. The second thing that you need to do is you need to have nadama, regret for having done the act. You cannot be thinking back to the act as if it is a good moment. In Cape Town we see this sometimes. We see a man that has grown old. And he no longer has the abilities that he had when he was young. But he thinks back to the days of his youth when he dated a lot of women and he had a style about him and he speaks of the good old days. So as long as he thinks back to it as the good old days, it cannot be seen as repentance. And those deeds will remain in his bag as sins. He has to actually regret having done it. And then the third one, is that you must make a firm intention not to do the act again. And you must take the necessary steps that the act is not done again. Say for example, if I am a smoker, and I want to discontinue smoking, then I need to part company with my smoking buddies. If I keep my smoking buddies, then soon I will be smoking again. And I need to part company with the remainder of my smokes. My cigarettes are not worse. If I'm keeping it there, I'm sort of telling myself, just in case I need you. So that is not a true repentance. That is if a sin is committed against Allah. Those are the three conditions. We must desist, we must regret, must make firm intention never to return. If the sin is made against a human being, and it is an item that we took from the human being, then that item must be returned. You stole somebody's car, you're going to have to return that car to that person. If it is another type of an act, ulama generally say that you have to ask, mouth. And this is where the Capetonian practice of before you go on hajj, 
going to see all the people that you know and asking them for mouth is, is, is a very interesting practice because it actually does cause you to be freed from whatever you have done that is wrong against that person. I, however, implore you that you need to understand that if you took something from somebody, that has to be returned. And Allah knows best. The third one is that we, or uh, uh, the fourth one is that we have to settle all our debts. Notice I've indicated due debts. And then I say that Hajj is neither compulsory nor allowed with due debts. So there are two types of debts. There are debts that are not due and there are debts that are due. If there are debts which are due, Hajj is not compulsory, Hajj is not allowed. If there are debts that are not due yet, then Hajj might become lawful for you. But it is still not compulsory. As long as you have a debt, Hajj is not compulsory. Even if the debt is not due. But it is permissible for you to go on Hajj. I've also mentioned that it is lawful to borrow money to go on Hajj. But it is not recommended. It is not recommended. Right. So if you have enough money, pay all your debts. It comes in the hadith of our beloved Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. The delay of one who can pay. That delay, it is zulm. It is an act of oppression. So as soon as you are able to fulfill your debts, then you need to do so. Not. The next issue is to seek the counsel of the wise, the experienced, the learned and the pious. So that's Mufti Mink over there. Beautiful photo of him. And their counsel is not to ask them, should I go on Hajj or should I not go on Hajj? The fact of the matter is, you must go on Hajj. The counsel that you will seek by them is, when is best to go on Hajj? In the Shafi Madhab, we allow you to perform the Hajj as long as it is probable, to delay the Hajj as long as it is probable that you will still have the ability to perform the Hajj. So you have the option to delay it to next year or maybe the year after that, etc. As long as it's not delayed to such a time where you are no longer able to perform it. So we say it is preferred that you perform the Hajj in the first year. But there might be certain other issues, family issues and responsibilities that are over there, so you need to seek the counsel of the learned. Maulana, Mufti, Sheikh, as it beater for me, I'm to hang for Hajjia, I kick na me ma. As I know, we can, we can kick na me ma. As it beater that I hang for Hajjia, of next year, my ancestors said, I say, I'll kick na me ma next year. Is it a good thing for me to delay it till next year? So the first thing we seek counsel is the wind. The second thing we see counsel is the how. How should I go on Hajj? Right? Yeah, we can look at transport. Should I go via the, the normal way people fly? Should I go by boat? Uh, I have a knee, I want to go on bicycle. But thank you, man van For example, Yusuf al-Qaradawi was asked if people perform Hajj walking while they have the option of flying, does it increase their reward? So his response was, no, it does not increase the reward at all. 
If the only aim is to make the Hajj difficult upon you, then it does not increase the reward at all. Because the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ was that whenever he was given two options, one being easier than the next, he would always take the easier option. So that is the Sunnah of the Prophet of Allah. And you shouldn't intentionally place yourself in difficulty. If however you have some other intention, such as in the case where you cannot afford to fly, but you can afford to go by bicycle, then in that case, it will be lawful 100%, and you will be rewarded for every difficulty that you undergo. And Allah knows best. Step six is to perform istikhara. Alright, we will continue after salah, inshallah. Um, shukran, we can just ask the brothers to please leave first and we ask the sisters to leave after. Shukran so much. We'll see you after the salah. Inshallah. And Rahim. We continue with step six of preparing for Hajj and Umrah. As we have said, step six is to perform the istikhara, which is asking Allah to guide you to the best choice. And also asking Allah to place khair and barakah in whatever choice you had made. So there are two times you will be making salatul istikhara. One is, you have two or more options. You do not know which option to choose. Secondly, you've already made a choice. But you want Allah to place khair and barakah in your choice. And at this time you will perform salatul istikhara. So if you have already made the intention to go on Hajj, and if you have already made the intention to go on Hajj this year, it doesn't mean that you will not make Salatul Istikhara. You will still make Salatul Istikhara, and you will ask Allah to place Khair and Barakah in the choice that you had made. The method is fairly simple. You will perform two raka'ats, Nafal Salah. You must avoid the times wherein it is considered makruh to perform this Salah, such as, for example, at dawn and at sunrise, and at istiwa, when the sun is at its zenith. So you will avoid those three times. You will make the nafal salah at any other time. Some ulama recommend that you recite Surah Ikhlas, Ahad, in the first rak'ah, and Surah Al-Kafirun, Qul Ya Ayywa Al-Kafirun, in the second rak'ah. After you have finished with these two rakats of nafal salah, you will read hamd. It is standard that when you make any dua, you read hamd. Hamd is, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. You don't need to say anything beyond that. Then you need to read salawat. You must send peace and salutations upon our beloved Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. So, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, wa salatu wa salamu, ala... Muhammadin, Allah, Sayyidina, whatever you want to say. Or you just say, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, Alhamdulillahi, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. As long as it is hamd, you are saying the praises of Allah, and as long as it is a salawat of the messenger of Allah, peace be upon him, then it will suffice. After that, you will read the following dua. The transliteration is on your notes under point five, and the translation comes under footnote 6. The hadith that teaches us to make this dua comes in Bukhari 6382. So the dua is Allahumma Oh Allah Inni astakhiruka bi'ilmika 
I see good via your knowledge. وَأَسْتَقْدِرُكَ بِقُدْرَتِكَ and strength via your power. وَأَسْأَلُكَ مِنْ فَضْلِكَ الْعَظِيمِ And I ask you of your enormous bounty. فَإِنَّكَ تَقْدِرُ وَلَا أَقْدِرُ Because you have all the power while I have none. وَتَعْلَمُ وَلَا أَعْلَمُ And you know everything while I know nothing. وَأَنْتَ عَلَّامُ الْغُيُوبِ And you are the all-knower of the unseen. اللَّهُمَّ أَوْ اللَّهِ إِنْ كُنْتَ تَعْلَمُ If you know أَنَّ هَذَا الْأَمْرَةِ That this matter. Normally, ulama say, if you want to, then at this point you will say what your issue is. If you don't know how to say it in the Arabic language, you can say it in the English language. If you don't say it, then you can just think it. Right? So you will think at this moment, I am thinking of marrying this man. I'm thinking of going on hajj, for example. Because those are the two most common reasons why people read Salatul Istikhara. So, oh Allah, if you know that al-amra, this matter, and then you think in your mind, marrying this man, or going on hajj and in umrah, if you know that this matter, khayrun li, is best for me, fi dini, in matters of my deen, wa ma'ashi, and my livelihood, wa aqibati amri, and the outcome of my matters, wa ajilihi, notice the first one is with an ayn, ajilihi, and then wa ajilihi, in my future, whether it is immediate future, or distant future. If you know that it is good for me, O Allah, فَقْدُرْهُ لِي Then decree it for me. وَيَسِّرْهُ لِي And make it easy for me. ثُمَّ بَارِكْ لِي فِيهِ And then grant me barakah, blessings in it. If the translation in the footnote is slightly different, don't worry. It's, uh, you only need to know the Arabic. The translation is merely a guide. وَإِن كُنْتَ تَعْلَمُ أَنَّ هَذَا الْأَمْرَ شَرٌ لِي and if you know Allah that this matter is bad for me, fi dini in my deen, wa ma'ashi and in my livelihood, wa aqibati amri in the outcome of my matters, wa ajilihi and my immediate future, wa ajilihi and my distant future, fasrifu anni, then turn it away from me, O Allah, wasrifni anhu and turn me away from it, wa qdurriya al khayra haythu kana and decree good for me wherever it might be. ثُمَّ رَدِّنِي بِهِ And then grant me happiness and contentment for that which you give me. So what are you asking Allah for? You are asking Allah if this is good in it for me, then decree it for me, O Allah. I want it if it is good. And if it is bad, O Allah, then turn it away from me. And send something else in my way that is good for me. Now comes the problem area. People tend to look upon Salatul Istikhara as some type of a magic invocation. And then they awaken a magic response. Like they expect bells to ring, or they expect their roof to open up, and angels to descend. They expect something miraculous to happen. What you need to understand is this. If after reading Salatul Istikhara, whether it is one day, two days, three days, a week, two days, two weeks, three weeks, if after that you, are, you, are find, you find out what you want to do, then that means your istikhara has been accepted and Allah has guided you. Nothing strange needs to happen. 
all that needs to happen is that you decide to proceed or you decide not to proceed. And that is the response of your Salatul Istikhara. Because people expect magic to happen, they frequently approach the ulama and they say, you must read it for me. Because it's So now you're expecting the magic to happen in his world. It's not happening in anybody's world. If Allah does give you a very unusual and miraculous response, Allahu Akbar, you must be one of those very pious people. But if your mind merely goes in the direction of I'm going to do it, or I'm not going to do it, then you need to understand that is the outcome of your istikhara. And yeah, I would just like to remind you that the Sahaba read to read, used to read Salatul Istikhara for the smallest of matters. One Sahabi says, when I went to go buy shoelaces, I first read Salatul Istikhara on it. In their time, shoelaces was not such a minor issue, by the way. And Allah knows best. So that is how you perform Salatul Istikhara. Right. There is a dua. Right. The next is, if people had left things in trust by you, or you had borrowed items of other people, then you need to return it. Allah said, no, not a You need to give it back. Because you might pass away while on this journey, and then there are items that other people don't know that you actually borrowed. So the idea is to clear your amana, to clear whatever you have kept in trust. So now you are basically ready to die. If you do not do this, it does not affect your hajj. It does not affect your hajj. And inshallah, you will be forgiven. But you need to understand that it is our duty as Muslims to try to be as safe as possible. It is our duty to try to be as safe as possible. So we fulfill our obligation, we then leave it in the hands of Allah. Tawakkul does not mean you leave everything in the hands of Allah. Tawakkul, as taught by the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, is that you do everything that is in your ability, and what is not in your ability, that you leave in Allah's hands. So a man not very eyes blind, a very vacant, and I say, Mark Tawakul, I see a mutawakil ni, I as a lay, buta. And the man not having a battlefield, so on and so on, I said, dumb man. I said, you have Tawakuli. You must come with your sword, and you must come with your shield, and it must be sharpened, and you must be well trained, and then you place your trust in the hands of Allah. Same thing. Would you like a mechanic to come and perform brain surgery on you and make tawakku? Or do you want a well-trained brain surgeon and then you make tawakku? Which of the two tawakkuls do you like? And Allah knows best. Right. I've given you in the footnote certain ahadith to indicate to the importance of whatever comes at the top. And Allah knows best. And the next is, if you have made certain promises and certain oaths, then it is best to fulfill those promises and oaths before you go on Hajj. Again, if you do not do this before Hajj, it will not negatively impact upon the Hajj. But you will see that I've indicated in the beginning that you must prepare for Hajj as you prepare for death. So the idea is that you want to go for Hajj with a clean slate. Even when I mention that you must pay your debts, it has the rider that only if the debt is due, is it compulsory upon you to pay it. So it will not negatively affect your hajj if you go on hajj while you still have a house loan or a car loan or a what. But it is considered best that you clean your slate 
if you can afford it and you pay whatever debts you have. Allah knows best. Right. Step nine is that while you're on Hajj and even before that, in fact, this should be a near for the rest of your life, you will avoid haram and you will perform your obligations towards Allah. Understand here that haram and obligation, they are the opposite sides of the same coin. When I do what is my duty, I'm avoiding haram. And when I'm avoiding haram, I'm doing what is my duty. If I make salah, I'm doing my duty. And if I avoid the haram of not making salah, technically still doing my duty. So haram and, 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 and wajib fard, they are the opposite sides of the same thing. In Arabic we speak of fardun fi'luhu, haramun fi'luhu. Compulsory to do, haram to do. But I could have rephrased it, and I could have said, compulsory to do, haram to abstain. If a thing is compulsory to do, it's haram to abstain. And if it is far to abstain, it is haram to do. So far than haram, they are the opposite sides of the same coin. Why am I going out of my way to mention this? There are certain sins that hujaj are inclined to performing. You will notice these sins when you go on hajj. Some of them are clear-cut sins, some of them are not so clear. Some of them are sins where ulama differ. Like for example, is it permissible to smoke or not? So I belong to those that believe that it is, it is, it is haram to smoke. While I accept that there are others that say it is lawful to smoke, but those that say it is lawful to smoke, they say it's makru, it's reprehensible. So, whether you consider it makru or whether you consider it haram. Sorry, what's wrong? Mouth Sheikh, just ask the urgent announcement. They are someone with a grey polo, 903-155. They can urgently move the car. Someone needs to urgently leave. Uh, we apologize for breaking the clause. Shukran. Okay. So, in, in those cases, to do it while you're on hajj, if it is haram, will be considered even more serious. And Allah knows best. The details of what is haram and what is not haram, I won't be doing in this particular class. I just wanted to make an example. So there are certain harams, it will be considered even more serious if you are performing it while on hajj. Right. The next issue is to join family ties. It is highly recommended before you go on hajj that you go and visit your family members and you make sure that the ties are joined, that you want good terms with them. Again, it wouldn't necessarily negatively affect the hajj itself. But it is part and parcel of wiping clean your slate. And Allah knows best. The next issue is to seek forgiveness from those that you have wronged. Uh, the picture has a lady apparently asking Ma for showing some humility to her husband. But it could very well be the other way around also. The husband asking is wife Ma. Or asking the neighbor maf, or asking your father maf, or asking your, your child even maf for something that you have done that is wrong. Again, the custom of Cape Town to go and visit people that you know and seeking maf from them is a suitable custom in this particular context. As long as there's one condition in your mind, and that is you are not telling yourself that this person must come see you. And when they come, they must bring money. If you are telling yourself that, then we're sitting with a serious problem. So asking Marv, inviting them to come see you, good thing. 
But if the man doesn't come or the lady doesn't come, you're not supposed to have any enmity towards them because you've got no haq in that. Especially since the custom demands that you must bring them money. Because it might be an embarrassing thing for them to come without money. And that is why oddities happen. Like for example, some people give envelopes, then there's a paper in, then it's written there, they cake no. So, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with the custom of giving a slavat, as they like to call it in Cape Town. There's nothing wrong with it. Malah increase you. But it must not be a thing that is expected. And understand that when you go to, as they say in Cape Town, when you go to greet, then that is exactly it. They come down with me and some after They come here for a little time to contribute to your hajj and your umrani. And this brings me to the next point. Make sure that before you tell people you're going to go on hands, that you have all the monies that are required. Muniri slavats antiyali. The slavats is additional. Alright? Imunami antiyali. Allah knows best. Yeah? Sorry? Oh, okay, those things I will discuss. There are certain customary practices in Cape Town that are normally done like Adhan when you leave the house and visiting of the Karamats and all of that. That will be discussed but not tonight inshallah. Right. Next step is especially when you are in a haram you must avoid all types of arguments and disputes. What is very important especially for this class is this. Whatever you learned here whatever you learned here whatever your thoughts of what you learned here while you're on Hajj. If people have a different way of doing things, leave them to that. You are not an alim, they are not ulama. It might be that another madhab says, do it like that. So don't interfere. If the person is an amicable person, and the person is seeking your advice, and it will not lead to a problem, then tell them, there is no weird doing. But if the person is aggressive, and they want to fight, they telling you, you shouldn't be making Umrah now. The Umrah is last. Then you tell him, Buta titi, Dunsus buta titi khaliyarat, and exal dunsus ek khaliyarat. Nos loset net da. Right? We are on Hajj now, this is not the time to argue, and this matter can be settled at, an, at another time. What I want you to know, however, regarding the notes that I am giving you, is that all of these notes are well researched. I spend hours, days, weeks, months in putting all of these notes together. So you will not find a mistake with regards to the fiki issues. Thus far, three mistakes have been made since we started with, the, with, with these classes. And those mistakes were only photo mistakes. There were no fik mistakes in the notes. You understand? So I, I got no problem in the day of Qiyamah being told that is a photo mistake. But the rest of the fiki issues that is in your notes are well researched and you can place full confidence in that. But do not argue with people, especially when you are on hajj. Right, so avoid arguments and disputes. The next thing that you should be avoiding is backbiting, slander and tail carrying. All of these are serious crimes of the mouth. The Prophet of Allah in one hadith, peace be upon him, had said, he who guarantees for me what is between his jaw bones and his thighs, 
I guarantee Jannah for him. And with regards to what is between the jawbones, the tongue, the sins of the tongue, the Prophet of Allah had highlighted these three. What are they? Backbiting is what we call riba in Arabic. In Cape Town it is known as fitna. But it is not technically fitna. Fitna means trials and tribulations. And if you riba, if you backbite people, it leads to trials and tribulations. So that is perhaps why they called it fitna. Because it's the same like kifait. Kifait doesn't mean zanaza, doesn't mean mayit, doesn't mean anything like that. But in the farad x, you have a farad ain, a personal obligation, and you have a farad kifaya, a communal obligation. And to wash the deceased, and to shroud the deceased, and to bury the deceased, is a farad kifaya. So I imagine that somewhere in the past, people, whenever somebody died, they used to shout, kifayat, kifayat, and somewhere along the line, to dunkos has been duayaman. Right? So these type of things, they actually happen. So backbiting is not called fitna. That's a local error. Backbiting is called riba. And riba comes from the word raba, which means to be absent. And basically what it involves is you speaking ill of another while that person is not present. Now what type of ill? Any ill that were that person present would cause them to feel bad. There's a standard example I always make. When I was younger, I was very sensitive about this big nose, crooked nose of mine. So back in the day, if you were speaking about my nose behind my back, that would constitute a riba. Because you know, I was whoa, that is riba. If I had to find out back in the day that you were doing that, I would feel very bad. I would become self-conscious. So that constitutes a riba. If you are lying, it becomes number two, slander. Bohtan. If you're speaking ill of a person and he or she is not guilty of it, then it is bohtan. So in addition to causing bad feelings, it is also a lie. Some people in Cape Town, they say, that there is ultimate stupidity. The reason why riba is haram is because if the person comes to hear about it, he will feel bad and have enmity towards you. Now you are saying it to his face, so obviously he has enmity towards you. You are taking a possible harm on the ummah and you, you, are, you, are, you, are, you are turning it into a definite harm upon the ummah. That is not intelligence, that is stupidity. So that is a slim function bas moment. Alright, so now we know what is riba, now we know what is slander. In riba and slander, you are the creator of the talk. What if I'm not the creator of the talk? I tells B something bad about C. And then B goes and tells C. Now that is tail carrying. Regarding the tail carrier, the Prophet of Allah had said, the namam, the tail carrier, he will not enter paradise. He's not even the one that made up the story. He's just the one that is telling the story. So it is something for us to think about. And something for us to avoid while we are on Hajj. Right. The next issue is that in addition to the funds that we require for the performance of Hajj itself, we need to ensure that we have sufficient funds for people that are considered our dependents, like our children who are unable to work for themselves for some reason or the other, whether it be age or whether it be sickness. 
It might even include our parents. It might even include uh, siblings, brothers and sisters in certain cases. So whosoever you are normally looking after, when you go on Hajj, you must ensure that sufficient funds are left for them. Eating, drinking, maybe a maid, maybe medical expenses that might be required while they are gone. And Allah knows best. Right. Number 15. You are also required to ensure that the monies that you use for Hajj is 100% halal. If you see the footnote, footnote number 12, the Prophet of Allah says in a hadith that comes in, in Sahih Muslim, that Allah is a pure being and He accepts only that which is pure. And then it speaks of a man who has certain qualities. Each one of these qualities makes you mustajabu da'wah. Mustajabu da'wah means you become a person whose du'as are accepted. Each one of the qualities mentioned. But you will notice at the end of this hadith that his du'a is not accepted. So he has multiple qualities where a single one of those qualities make you a person whose du'a is accepted. Number one is he traveled a long journey. If you travel a long journey for the sake of Allah and then you make du'a, Allah accepts your du'a. Number two is he is disheveled. Due to the journey, Sahara is coming. As for the sake of Allah, Allah accepts your dua. He's covered in dust due to the journey. Again, if you made some effort and then you made dua after that, then due to the effort your body was covered in dust, Allah immediately accepts your dua. He stretches out his hands to the heavens. When you stretch out your hands to the heavens in a beseeching manner, and you humble yourself to Allah, Allah immediately accepts your dua. He beseeches Allah, he begs Allah. He says, oh my Lord, oh the one that had created me. So he acknowledges that Allah is the Rabb. But his problem is, his food is haram. His drink is haram. His clothing is haram. And he has been sustained with haram. How can his prayer be accepted? So you have a person that has multiple qualities. If he only had one of them, his dua would be accepted. But since his food is haram, his drink is haram, his clothing is haram, there is no hope that his dua will be accepted. And Allah knows best. In relation to hajj, I've answered this in a question. I said, if you perform hajj with unlawful money, it will waive the once in a lifetime obligation. So your hajj will be considered valid, but there will be zero reward for you. This is similar to somebody that was under the influence of drugs or the like. In Cape Town, we commonly know that for 40 days it is said that your du'a or your salah is not accepted. What is intended there is not that you mustn't make salah. What is intended there is when a or that person becomes, uh, what do you call it now? Sober. Then the person has to make salah. But for 40 days, they don't get a reward for the salah. But it does waive the obligation of that 40 days salah when they perform it. This is because acceptance has two meanings. You get a full acceptance, where obligation is waived and you receive reward. And then you get partial acceptance, where the obligation is waived, but there is no reward. Generally in hadith, when we speak of the partial acceptance, it is mentioned as no acceptance. Because at the end of the day, the primary reason why we do things is that we want Allah to be pleased with us, and we want Allah to reward us and not be 
angry with us. And Allah knows best. The next issue is to clear our heart from hatred for Muslims. We have to clear our heart from hat- of hatred for Muslims. There is a hadith of the Prophet of Allah, peace be upon him, where he was in the mosque one night and he told the Sahaba, the next man to come in is a Jannati. Is somebody that's definitely going to go to Jannah. Then some humble person came in, what, is, what we call in today's time, slofis, sandals. And the Sahaba were amazed. Who can attend? Dibut all this. Then one Sahabi started following him. Up and down. He was how he made salah, etc. Then he noticed nothing in his normal dealings. So he asked the man, can I stay by your house for a, for, for, a few, for a few nights? My father and I got this agreement. He threw me out. I want to come stay by you. So that man said, no problem. Come stay by me. Then he watched the man. And he noticed that the man made no special tajud. He made the normal tajud that Sahaba made. No special tajud. No special practices. Then after watching him, he then spoke to him and said to him, My pasha in the quad with me, my father isn't really angry with me. The only reason I came is because the Prophet said this. What do you do different from other people? Then he said, It is my constant habit every night before I go sleep. I think about the ummah, I think about my family, and I clean my heart of any bad thoughts that I have for any Muslim. And it would appear that this is the reason why Allah accepted him and Allah granted him Jannah. There are certain nights, like Ruwa night, Laylatul Laylat Nisfi Sha'ban, the 15th night of Sha'ban. Uh, people quote a whole lot of things regarding that night. There's only one thing that is authentic regarding that night. And that is that Allah descends and He forgives anybody except those who have hatred for other Muslims. And funny enough, we made it such a masla in today's time that the one that goes to the mosque hides the one that doesn't go. And the one that doesn't go to the mosque hides the one that goes. Which at the end of the day, no one can forgive me. Whether it was done day or whether it was done day. Right? So we need to clean our hearts of hatred for other Muslims. Love for the sake of Allah, hate or dislike for the sake of Allah. A Muslim is man salim al-Muslimuna min lisani wa yadi. A Muslim is that person, other Muslims are safe with regards to his tongue and they're safe with regards to his hand. He will not physically harm them. He will not strike out against them. He will not even think ill of them unless there is clear-cut evidence. The next issue it is necessary that you seek the required knowledge for the performance of Hajj and Umrah and also the required knowledge for travel. Since you will be traveling, there are certain laws that come into existence. Like you will be making Jam Salah, combining Dhuhr and Asr Salah, Maghrib and Isha Salah. So you need to learn those laws. Inshallah, if time permits, it will be taught in this class. You also need to make Qasr Salah. Four Raka'at Salahs are reduced to two Raka'as. And there are certain other things that also come up, like in certain cases, tayammum perhaps. So all of those things become necessary knowledge if it is part and parcel of your necessary practices. If you have never traveled, you do not need to know the Sharia laws of traveling. The moment you start traveling, that is the moment that you need to know. If you've never been married, you do not need to know the laws of marriage. The moment you make intention to get married, now you need to know the laws of marriage. And Allah knows best. Step 18, it is highly recommended that you draw up a will. If you do not draw up a will, again it will not negatively impact upon your hajj. 
It was the writing of a will is not part and parcel of going on hajj. But since you have the high potential that you might pass away, so ulama have always recommended that you must write up a will. In fact, it should be your standard practice that you have recorded what you owe other people, what other people owe you, what your obligations are, who your heirs are, when you pass away, it should be considered standard practice of all Muslims. And Allah knows best. The next is, you should start selecting which people you will be traveling with. And here you need to be careful of who you keep as company. The Prophet of Allah had said, the example of a companion, that is a good companion and a bad companion, is like the example of somebody selling perfume and a blacksmith. If you are in the company of the one selling perfume, then either eventually you will buy some of the perfume, or you will at least enjoy the good fragrance while you are in his company. And if you are in the company of a blacksmith, then either, either the fire sparks will shoot onto your body and burn you, or it will burn your clothing, or at the very least you will have to sit in the smoke and endure that foul odor. So it is the same with a good companion. The good companion either, either affects you and you become as good as him or her, or at the very least, you enjoy their goodness while in their company. While the bad companion either affects you and you become as bad as them, or at the very least, while you are in their company, you dislike their company. So it is advisable that you select who you travel with. And Allah knows best. Right now there are certain du'as that is considered sunnah to make. The first du'a is before you set out. So you will say, Allahu Akbar thrice, Subhanalladhi sakhara lana hadha, wa ma kunna lahu muqrineen, wa inna ila rabbina lamunqalibun. Allahumma inna inni as'aluka fi safrana hadha, al-birra wa taqwa, wa min al-amli ma tuhib wa tarda. Allahumma hawin alayna safrana hadha, wa tu'i'anna bu'da. Allahumma anta sahibu fi safari, wal khalifatu fi al-ahli. Allahumma inni a'udhubika min wa'atha'i safari, wa ka'abati al-manzar, wa su'i al-munqalabi fi al-mali, wal ahli. So Allahu Akbar, Allah is greater or greatest, thrice. Subhanalladhi sakhralna hadha, all praises due to Allah, who had made this subservient to us. And we would not have been able to have power over it were not for Allah. And in the end we will return unto Allah. Oh Allah, we ask you in this journey of ours that you grant us piety, that you grant us taqwa, Allah consciousness, and that you grant us such deeds that you love and are pleased by. Oh Allah, make easy this journey for us. Oh Allah, fold the distance of this journey to us. Meaning, let us experience it as a pleasant experience and let, us, let it feel short. Oh Allah, you are the companion while we are on the journey. And you are the one that we leave behind to look after our family. Oh Allah, we seek refuge by you from the difficulty of journey and an evil uh, outlook or evil face, a bad face, and an evil outlook, uh, sorry, outcome regarding my property and regarding my family that I leave behind. This du'a is considered one of the most comprehensive du'as and it is the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ to make this du'a. The authors of books like Imam Muslim, when he brings this du'a, then he brings it under the chapter of what is said by the one that goes on hajj or the like. And Allah knows best. Then also whenever you ascend, you go up a hill, it is sunnah to say, Allahu Akbar. And when you go down the hill, it is sunnah to say, Subhanallah. And when you stop at a location, it is sunnah to say, 
اعوذ بكلمات الله تامات من شر ما خلق I seek refuge by Allah's perfect speech from the evil that Allah had created. Yeah, I remind you that in Islam we believe that Allah is the creator of all things. Whether those things are considered good or evil uh, is irrelevant. Allah is the creator of all things. All of this comes in your notes. Then the final issues. While you're on the journey of Hajj, it is required of you to exhibit exemplary character. Some of the things that are recommended, if you are able to do so, is to help other hujjads. Some people come in their wheelchairs, some people suffer, struggle to walk, etc. So those that are strong, they are supposed to help the weak. If you have additional monies that you do not require, and another hajj for some reason or the other has a financial need, it is recommended that you assist them. Allah knows best. I know there's a few questions that pop up when we say these things. So I'm going to leave it to you to ask inshallah and then we can focus on that. Also, if people require advice and it will bring you no harm, then offer advice. If people require guidance and it will bring you no harm, then offer whatever guidance you can and have to give. Also, you need to have an easy attitude when you go on hajj. Basically, what we mean by that is you shouldn't easily become offended. And part and parcel of this is, you must not take your South African culture to a different country. When you are in that country, you do as they do. You don't do as you do when you are home. A good example of this is, in general in Arabic countries, and on Arab countries, there is no such law as a line. The law in the Arab country is Basan. Daisy law. So if you're standing at the airport, and you're getting ready now to go through and you make a line. When the Egyptians come, they're just going to force their way in at the front. So, Kapanar, Kanala, Munikwadraki, Mutfakaniman, Boxi, Auri Viking, Mariais. Munikwoman Paki. In those countries, they tend not to make lines. Lines is when you go make salah. Right? When we're standing in the shop, etc., the law generally is bas'an. So if you want to make a line, no problem. But don't fight with the other people that don't want to stand in the line. When they are in their country, you have to obey their culture. As long as it's not haram. Right. So you need to have an easy attitude. And accustom yourself to, what, to, the, to the circumstances that you find yourself in. And give everyone that you meet a smiling face. The Prophet of Allah had said that, Kullu ma'roof in sadaqah. Every act of goodness is an act of charity. Even if it is merely to meet your Muslim brother with a smiling face. So what I mean thereby is Muslim brother smiling to Muslim brother and Muslim sister smiling to Muslim sister. That is what I mean thereby. Not Muslim sister smiling to Muslim brother. And yeah, I just want to add something. In Cape Town, the ladies tend to be a bit friendly. Right? In Cape Townian context, that is understood by the locals. As you try in an Arab country, then fully is interested. So you need to understand that you need to be as, how would I put this now, detached as possible. And Africans know, how yourself lekker in gedachte. Don't become too friendly. The guy you buying the, the veggies by every day, don't after a while, Mahmoud, did you keep them? Yeah, you can't problems create some with Mahmoud. 
Either let your husband buy the veggies, of hou jouself in gedachte kanalle. Right. Number four. One of the things we always recommend that you pack in, losie toilet paper, losie blikkiekoos, pak in sabber. Sakke, sakke, sabber. Because you're going to be experiencing things that you are not used to, especially if you're not used to travel. And you need to keep yourself calm. Captainians have a tendency to lose their cool and then it is not useful at all. Like people go to tent city and then skel hulle met die arpe, hulle skel met die gats agents, hulle skel met amal. Die aeroplane kon nie vannig rin nie. Hy gaan maar net kom wanneer hy kom. You understand? So it's not going to benefit anybody to do all of those things. Understand when you're going there that you are already a hajj in the sight of Allah. Understand that when you're coming from that you are coming from Arafah. So behave in accordance with the honor that you have now been given. You are the guest of Allah. Allah sent this invite to you. So behave in accordance with that. Behave as if you are the guest of Allah. And we conclude there. If there are any questions, this is the time to ask. I will be focusing on questions related to the class. Other questions will be answered, but in future lessons, inshallah. So now any questions you may ask, inshallah. Okay, yes, Sheikh Riyad, there's something uh, interesting for the class tonight. We'll be bringing two medical doctors and they'll be giving you some advice, health guidelines, etc., advice with regards to what medication to take with and so forth. And then you may ask them any questions regarding health that you might have. But in the interim, if there's anything you want to ask me... Um, anyone has any questions for Molona before he ends off? Now's your opportunity. Um, the next sitting is going to be a different kind of sitting. But the Sheikh Riyad will explain that. Okay, we have two doctors here. They'll be giving you the um, rundown of what's uh, needed in terms of um, medical requirements. Dr. Salim. So do you have any questions for Molona Mu'ath? Okay. Okay, there's a question, sorry. Question, the question here is that I have the monies, I've applied for visa, etc. Everything happened. Then as approaching Hajj, a family member then had need for finance. Is it better for me to go for the Hajj or is it better for me to assist the family member? This here would be a good example of uh, you asking somebody who is experienced or learned as to what is best. The first point that needs to be considered is what do they mean when they say they require some money? If it is something that is a darura, life-threatening or extremely urgent need, then it can be considered and money can be given uh, to them and hajj can be delayed till the next year. If you've got confidence that you will be able to regain your monies uh, in the near future. If it is something that they consider urgent but is not necessarily urgent in the eyes of sharia, then that does not count. Like I've indicated to marriage, some people consider marriage an absolute, an absolute need. Uh, if it applies to you, the hajj, then you've got the right to delay, but hajj will still be compulsory upon you. 
Arrive there just means it's permissible for you to delay. And Allah knows best. Any other questions? No other questions. Shukran, we continue next week.